Welcome to Growth Capital, the podcast from the Quoted Companies Alliance. Our organization champions public companies. Some of them are small, some of them are mid-sized. They could be worth a handful of millions or hundreds of millions of pounds. Our aim is to make life better for our members on the stock market. Less cost to complexity, more buyers and sellers, a better story overall so they can focus on growth, creating jobs and spreading wealth. I'm James Ashton, the QCA's Chief Executive. I'm delighted that this series of conversations is being sponsored by Mazar, the audit, tax and advisory firm helping listed businesses grow with purpose. Today's episode is all about annual reports. They're the doorstopper documents that just keep on growing. QCA Research found that the average annual report is growing by 5,800 words every year. Who's reading them? And what's the value of a once-a-year document when investors can access reams of real-time data? After recent governance rethinks, what else needs to change to formulate a package that offers transparency and inspires confidence in a company? This conversation features two guests from QCA member firms. Phil Austin is Sales Director at Perivan, the UK's number one producer of annual reports, IPO prospectuses, and investor communications. His career stretches 35 years in financial printing. He's joined by Andrew Jones, who's director and head of narrative reporting at Mazar, who has over 20 years experience of technical accounting, performance measurements in capital markets, and non-financial reporting. Let's get into the conversation. Phil, I note from your bio on the website, you have a passion for annual reports. I'm interested in where that's come from and what's changed over the years you've been involved. The document we see today, what was it like when you first started out? Well, I kind of, uh, I kind of stumbled into it, James, to be honest. Um, I didn't quite know what I wanted to do, um, but I ended up at uh, St. Ives Group as my first uh, employer, which... Um, turned out to be uh, one of the largest companies in the in the market and I guess um, what I grew to love about it all and I've literally been doing this for the whole of my career um, the thing I, I grew to love about it all is that it's quite hard work but very rewarding and uh, and also largely the the client base are a, a, a decent uh, a decent bunch of people that are very appreciative of, of what, what we all do so um, I guess uh, that was a, that's a, a big reason. Um, when I first started out, which was back in the eighties, um, so obviously a, a good while ago, it was um, business was awarded um, really on the basis of how many presses you had, how many printing units on those presses you could you could print for different colours and stuff, um, and and the, kind of the front end is what we call it was was kind of very much um, you know in, in the background, but. Um, <clears throat> These days, with um, I think uh, ecoms letters um, were first sent out in in sort of two thousand and six stroke seven with the the Companies Act change, and so we we could we could see from that point that uh, quantities print quantities were going to be reducing over a period of time, and that that did take a time, um, but these days um, the the number of reports still in the thousands is 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 actually quite low. Um, in terms of Paravan, our, our average print run is probably 400 copies these days. <laughs> and so the emphasis now is more on um, how quickly you can turn proofs around, um, your design capacity, 
um, no one talks about the print element really, apart from when can I have my copies? Yeah. So it's not, so it's so it was a volume game and it was a print game, and now it's it's more about um, speed to market, and um, and I guess there's also the the design elements. And just to stick with you, I mean, what Paravan does now, there is still that print option, but I think also a lot of the business has become, you know, how do we help companies uh, design up their annual report? Yeah, so much, yeah, very much so. Um, but also, just just before that, James, we uh, because we could see this trend um, coming from a long time ago, we actually changed our um, our sort of print factory expertise to to actually cope with the more digital uh, print runs. And in fact, because of that, we've been encouraging companies to print less uh, for for quite a while now, um, which because it was to our advantage and also good for them, uh, good for the environment, and, and all those kind of things. But uh, one, one thing we have seen um, over the last kind of four years or so is, is a quite a big increase in pagination. Yeah, and obviously the QCA we've done we've done work on that, and uh, you know we talk about these doorstopper documents, and and I think we're adding five thousand eight hundred um, words a, a year to these. So you know they are uh, we're in sort of um, novel stakes uh, in terms of in terms of the the length and so on. Andrew, let me turn to you. Um, before uh, the company um, rings up Phil and says, you know, how do we get this into the the report, whether that's print or digital, there's a conversation with you um, about narrative reporting. Now, you're not quite offering advice, but what is it you're doing as the company is getting ready to commission that report? Well, when we're working as auditors, we are helping them to achieve both compliance and good practice and coherence. So, like um, like Phil, I'd been working in this area for a long time, and most of my career has been spent in investor relations. So my passion is for communicating effectively. How does the company get the message across? And how does it get a reasonable and balanced message across? Now, we appreciate that producing annual reports is a big job, and Phil will be pretty familiar with that. Um, involves a cast of many people within the company. So when someone can produce something prior to the year end varies, but, but depending on the company's processes. So ideally we would be talking about any new areas that are coming up or any areas that changed significantly in terms of reporting well before the year end, um, probably around this time of year, running towards the end of the year so that we're not rushing to discuss things the last possible minute. Um, and it's never a fun occasion to be trying to try trying to change the wording or agree new wording at the last moment um, in order to get an audit signed off. And what we're looking for there, as I said, is compliance and is um, is a fair and balanced story. So has it got all the bits it needs, and has it crossed the line from being a document of record? and the document that presents the company's case fairly to being a marketing document, which maybe doesn't present it quite so fairly. Mm-hmm. And, and given where these um, uh, reports have gone, is that one of the key strains that it goes from a um, uh, paper of record, thinking of you know, newspapers there, almost, to, to something that's a little more promotional? Is that, is that a, a, a concern that you would have? Yes, that's that's one of the concerns. Um, the other is the one that you've mentioned in, in the very useful report that the QCA has produced 
on looking at length and, and pagination and word count in, um, the, in annual reports, the sheer size, so the, the balance of cutting the clutter, which was one of the FRC's proposals against the complying with all the various requirements and extra pieces of information that the regulators and occasionally investors have asked for. So there's a, there's a balance of producing so much that you can't read it to producing so little, it doesn't include the things you have to include. Where are you on the balance, Phil? I'm interested in what's, um, clearly you want to do the best for your client, but what, what's good for business? Is, is volume good for business? Well, I've got to be honest, in, in terms of uh, increasing pagination, uh, you know, just, just taking that per se, it, it's obviously good for business because it gives us more, uh, gives us more to do. And, and uh, obviously, uh, you know, you're, you're charging on a, on a, on a different scale. Um, but having said that, um, there, are, there are a few kind of uh, options um, these days with, um, in terms of what's making the reports longer. Um, just taking ESG, for example, um, we, we, we're producing an increasing number of uh, separate um, ESG reports um, that obviously never print anyway. They're, they're, they will only ever be a PDF. We've never printed one of those. But um, that can be extracted from the annual report. Some people have have, uh, have done, there's not really a, a flowing trend. It, it's kind of moving around quite a bit at the moment. Um, only this morning, I was on a, a call whereby somebody actually wants to go the other way. <laughs> They've, they've produced a, a 28-page uh, ESG report as a standalone for the last uh, three years, and they actually want to condense that as much as they can and put that back into the annual. So that, that's another change. Um, another thing that we've, um, we're beginning to see the return of, which was certainly the case when all of the large privatizations were happening, um, where all of a sudden you've got a huge increase in your shareholder base. Um, people are looking at, um, at producing like a summary report, um, which, which actually doesn't include any more work because all you're doing is lifting existing pages out of the main report, uh, renumbering them and having that as a standalone summary because uh, the, the one that comes to mind is that we, we actually print more copies of that than we do of the main annual. So there's lots of trends and people always trying stuff out about, you know, what, what, because look, we, you know, I mean, the, the, at the top of this, I'm, I'm kind of asking the question, um, what does the future of the annual report look like? And, and by asking that question, you're kind of implying that there is a problem today. And, and I think people say, oh, well, the problem could be around length or who's reading or are they still uh, the engaging product? I mean, do you think annual reports, Phil, are getting a bad rap um, or is it, is it, um, uh, you know, what is is there not a problem here? Well, I I, I did um, like Andrew enjoy reading your uh, your never ending story, and I enjoy that you both enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, it's a very good read if if you're in the business, certainly, or, or even if if you're not, and you, your your task is to produce an annual report. But I, I just think uh, in in terms of the regulatory uh, requirements, I mean, we're we're not remotely in control of of that. Um, we're very much at the other end and, and need to react to it when, when people want or need a, a larger annual report. But I guess, I guess the slight kind of uh, grey area um, is that if, if the information needs to be produced and shown somewhere, it, uh, at the moment it's maybe in the annual report and maybe shouldn't be some of it, 
but it needs to it needs to exist somewhere, I guess, um, if it, if it's a legal requirement. So if it's not in the annual report, it would need to be in a, in another named PDF on the website so that people can access that information. Andrew, do you see it? Do you see a problem, and and is it worth identifying where some of this growth has come from? Yeah, I think it, there's there's certainly an issue there. One of the issues we have is that the government, or not so much the the government, the, the area of the government that's responsible for business reporting, but other areas of government tend to see the annual report as a target place for putting their disclosures. And the result of that is that you end up with things in there that really don't. Um, don't belong to the investment case, to, to the communication effectively with investors. And a lot of that has got piled on to the annual report because it's a convenient place for other government departments to want to put it. Uh, some of that, I certainly feel, could be moved to websites and out of the annual report. Things that don't revolve, things that don't involve investors acting as investors and making their investment decision could easily be put somewhere else. And it's interesting you come, you, you say that and talk, and talk about investors because is, is that, I know there is the primacy of investors, but isn't the annual report these days for everyone, for, for wider stakeholders? If you make a document for everyone, I think you're going to struggle to achieve focus. Now, that doesn't mean that other people shouldn't or can't use it, but if you don't agree or you don't decide effectively who your audience is, I think you're going to produce a rather unfocused document and lose lose things in the clutter, not see the woods or the trees. I, I think the areas where we have seen growth, clearly there's around governance, there's around remuneration and ESG, and, and, and several of those will stretch on into the, um, into the middle distance. Do, do you have a sense of what could drop onto a website? And I suppose the other question would be, would be why? Is that something that needs updating more than once a year or less than once a year, or is just struggles to you know uh, come over that relevancy hurdle well so to look at that i think we would have several classes there one would be stuff that doesn't change from year to year so it changes less than once a year governance areas and particularly where everyone says the same thing so for instance in structure of the board everyone will say that their chairman is in charge of the operation of the board and their chief executive is in charge of the operation of the the business and for instance they 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 will look at the components of remuneration and say right we have basic pay and we have pension and we have assorted expenses and we have um, a, a short term and a long term bonus there's no difference in the purposes of those parts of things uh, parts of remuneration reports or corporate governance reports and they take up a lot of space and really if you put something different in there no one will notice because their eyes have glazed over by that stage um we have to sit there and read through it as auditors and every now and then you find they've missed something out or put something in twice and and it, it needs fixing otherwise i'm not sure that anyone would have noticed other than us but I suppose that's one of the challenges, isn't it? That it's that it's that stuff is there for the sake of being there, and and actually, it's it's if you're being cynical, you could say, oh well, there might be a degree of cutting and pasting this from from last year, and it's um, you know n not clear that that necessarily helps the investor or other stakeholders with inspiring confidence or or offering transparency. But in the areas where there is something so common, I think you could say, what's the difference rather than what's the same. So 
there are chunks of the corporate governance report, as I say, which everyone says the same thing. So why not say this is the default if instead your chairman is responsible for, for, um, I don't know, opening the door in the morning and, 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 and answering reception, then you can put that in as an exception. Um, if however, he's responsible for the same thing that everyone else's chairman is responsible for, then you, you say, right, it's the standard form. And we've done that previously in corporate law with what was called table A, so the standard set or articles of, of, of association for a company. Um, what else is there? Um, but actually looking back to what Phil was saying earlier, the example of people moving things from ESG reports back into the annual report, actually, I think that is also a useful area to look at much as it might slightly increase the length of the annual report and probably not vastly because you will be condensing it to put it in there. It does actually bring it together into an integrated whole. So I do rather object to the idea that you could have a sustainability strategy completely separate new business strategy. It's not a strategy if it's not actually linked in an integrated whole. So really, if that's important to the direction of the company, it should be in there. But then on other things, we could throw out um, large chunks of the remuneration report spring to mind. Um, uh, and then various, well, uh, there are a number of other elements, but it's probably getting a bit too complicated. However, the, the government did hold quite recently a consultation on non-financial reporting and a call for evidence on what could be, um, what could be changed about the non-financial reporting environment. Um, um, various of us produced responses to that, suggesting things that we leave out, put in or change to make things simple. We certainly did. Um, Phil, are there thought, I mean, are you usually being, uh, responsive as you suggest to, as to this client, let's get the ESG back in the main report, or do you, uh, are you putting forward different options? I mean, are you saying currently, you know, drop that off and pop it on the website or, you know, bring it bring it all together? Or is it really horses for courses? Well, it's, it's really okay. I guess a lot of it's driven by uh, which sector the uh, the actual client is in. If, if it's, uh, if, if they are, if they have got an environmental bent, then uh, that's going to be a big driver to go one way or the other, depending on, on what's important to them. But um, with, with, with ESG, uh, as I said, said earlier, they, you'd never get um, a printed copy of that due to the nature of what it is. Um, so there's no, there's no sort of right or wrong. But um, it, was, it was quite ironic in a way, the, the, the appointment this morning, that um, in, in knowing what we were going to be doing this afternoon, talking about the length of reports, that this one's obviously going to be get, getting longer. <laughs> um, I haven't had the opportunity yet to ask why why they want to uh, to to put the ESG back in. But one comment, um, which was from one of their advisors, was that uh, if the design could be amended to not to, to not to have uh, so much white space to accommodate these extra pages, <laughs> it um, we'll, we'll we'll see how that one pans out. But um, this is the problem, Phil. You're making yeah, them too beautiful. Uh, <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's, uh, I, was going to, I was going to say the, um, because most of the expansion, as we've said already, uh, has come from the, sort of the more regulatory area of the report. So after the strategic report, before the financials, it's kind of generally very, very text heavy. Um, Andrew mentioned the remuneration side of things. Um, so it's a challenge for our design team to, to try and make that, those sections more, 
uh, engaging and and uh, and to actually encourage people to read them because otherwise it it just it just becomes slabs of copy and uh, and not very attractive to look at. And to go back to the point that Andrew made earlier, I mean, do you find um, that you're you're bumping up against uh, you know someone? Uh, down the line says oh well this this looks wonderful but really you've turned this into a marketing tool now you're you the, the company is saying more than it can say and i'm and i'm sure it's some of the it's some of the stuff that isn't part of the the slab of text um that probably falls foul of that are there instances where you you have to you know rein things in Yeah, I mean, it's. Um, it, it, I think it's. Uh, it's fair to say that um, we went through quite a period of time, um, probably in the '90s, where people had um, most most PLCs of any size had a corporate brochure. Um, that's a long time since we've been asked to produce one of those because I guess the the content of a corporate brochure now is 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 obviously apparent online. Um, you don't don't necessarily need to print anything as such, but um, but yeah, you, some of our reports are, are very um, front loaded. Let's say in, in terms of um, a very expanded review of operations, uh, new acquisitions, um, that that kind of thing, and and, and shown very nicely graphically. Um, obviously, then the, the regulatory stuff comes after that. But um, whereas other reports are very very um, functional. And, and quite basic, and we're, we're happy to do either. Obviously, I mean, I look, I did, I did, uh, I reviewed a number of them recently, and and yeah, I remember I was looking at looking at Doc Martins, uh, which of course IPO'd in the last few years, and and you know, really, it's it's like a fashion magazine. I yes, don't know if that's one of yours. Yeah, very much. So we we uh, we pitched for that actually, but but <laughs> we didn't get it because oh, uh, well, it wasn't as good as it could have been, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, we we do. Uh, with us, we are the market leader in IPOs, and so one thing that does offer is to get involved in the inaugural report, which is quite exciting because, um, depending on the nature of the business, some people decide just to stick with a word document for three years and see how things go. But um, but a company like that with a, a retail market um, decides to really go for it, and I I do remember it well. <laughs> Andrew, um, you know there is wriggle room and you know room to be innovative as phil describes but as you say what companies can say uh and what the the support network around them let them say it is uh largely driven by the regulations the legislation the government and so on and so many moving parts at the moment what are companies being allowed to say and what will they be um, expected to say in the future and i suppose going back to this non-financial review there is the hope there that someone somewhere is thinking less is more. But I think it's quite a long road. It is. Um, actually, turning back to something you, you and Phil were just discussing, one of the areas that, that perhaps people could work harder on with, with um, Phil and, and, and various of his competitors, not at once maybe, um, would be use of graphics and use of tables because that can break up a, a big mass of text and make it a lot easier to understand. And some of these areas we're looking at, particularly the ESG areas, can be quite hard to understand and end up with a lot of data spread out all over the page and reading through it is quite difficult. If you can use graphics effectively, if you can find ways of showing that quantitative information and also showing how uncertain it is or how variable it is in the case of ESG, 
um, that, that can be quite useful. Then turning a bit back towards your question, um, what's going to drive stuff in or out? I think one of the risks there is, um, negative statements. So a, a feel that you need to say that you've, you've done this when everyone's done that, or that you haven't done this, or you haven't got this when everyone hasn't got that. And it doesn't convey a great deal of information. It just fills up space. So it is, I mean, it's that balance again, or demonstrating that you've done the things you need to, that you've achieved compliance balanced against cutting clutter. Um, and cutting clutter was the name of one of the FRC's, um, uh, projects, shall we say, um, uh, uh, movements to, to try and make, um, annual reports more re readable. I see. Okay. I should, I should look, um, look back at that, that negativity. I think, I think what we saw in doing that piece of research at the start of this year was, um, uh, there were those things that could go. There were overlaps between, um, you know, the, the guidance wasn't clear enough in a number of areas as to as to which companies needed to say what um, and where. And then I think there was also, um, I don't know if this is something you you've identified, Phil, almost a, a rivalry. You know, if if uh, if Company A has a chairman statement of five hundred words, then Company B, the, the big competitor across the road, would 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 weigh in with seven hundred words or something. Or is that is that not the case? Yeah, certainly, uh, certainly, there is definitely um, peer pressure within uh, within individual sectors. Um, I guess whatever whatever size, I mean, we do a lot in the um, in the pharmaceuticals sort of healthcare uh, arena. There's probably uh, that and investment trusts, one two of our largest kind of areas. And it's not unusual to receive a request to say, "Oh, um, how how do?" Uh, how do other companies address, um, especially when there's something new um, or, or or something that's that's trending? How how have other people addressed this? And of course, you know, we at the end of the day, other reports are public documents, and so you know, we, we're keen to help by showing what, what other people have done. It's not it's not a secret, but um, but yeah, without without a doubt, it's um, I think your uh, your never ending story document does kind of touch on. In fact, oh, let's let's include this, and because they have, and you know, we don't want to be seen to be lacking in that area. And but I don't think it's necessarily some. If if something was omitted, it's not necessarily something that would uh, border being um, illegal or on on you know as a, as a non-disclosure. But um, I think um, it, it's kind of, well. Let's let's do that as well because at least then it, it's the safer option, isn't it? Well, yeah, but you say that. I mean, actually, I think, uh, you know, I, I know some boards are um, a little wary of leaving anything out because it's because people do do read uh, reports next to each other and say, oh, well, that was there last year. It's not there this year. Well, something's something's amiss. What's happened here and so on. So I think that's um, that's part of it. I want to just touch on the the, the period we've been through, um, you know, huge rowback in terms of what's happening with you know audit reform um, governance reform um there's um th th there's nothing in the king's speech that, that we might have expected um a little while ago on the cr on the creation of the new um uh financial reporting regulator there's nothing uh, really the strategic instrument that was was laid before parliament we haven't you know that was scrapped so we haven't got resilient statements we haven't got risk of material fraud 
um, talking about carbon emissions being audited and distributed profits and so on. And then now we are um, lacking quite a lot of the reforms that were proposed for the um, the UK code. And at the QCA, you know, we welcome a lot of that. We think there was too much stuff just being weighed on on public companies, and we think that was a bit of a turn off, and that's why we're seeing fewer of them uh, on the market. But um, Andrew, I wonder if fewer reforms in time means simpler reports, or is it not quite as simple as that? I'm not sure the number of report reforms is the, is the um, key area. I think integration and consistency of reforms and having a clear intent as to what you're aiming to do. Um, and actually spending some time thinking about how you're going to put it together as an integrated whole, which certainly some of our, um, some of our legislation doesn't help. So if you, if you look back to that famous quote from, from Pascal, I've, I've only made this letter longer because I haven't had the time to make it shorter. It could be quite hard work to take an annual report, take it apart entirely and put it back together to have the minimum amount of space in there. And people tend to be fairly defensive about it. They say, well, our lawyers told us to put this in or our accountants or our auditors tried, told us to put in this in. And, and I'm afraid sometimes we do have to tell you to put it in because there's a piece of legislation that says that heading's got to be there, even though the information is somewhere else in the report. And, um, you know, having to produce that sort of comment does not fill me with joy, but we've got to do it because we've got to sign off saying you've complied with the requirements. So better integration, better consideration, and a certain level of greater flexibility. But that greater flexibility is always that there is a concern from the government and from the regulators that if we allow greater flexibility, people will take advantage of it and misuse it. So we've had a series of um, requirements in remuneration reporting, which each of which aims at the last scandal in terms of how much somebody paid themselves. And you've ended up with a remuneration report with 41, 42 separate components in it, um, which really don't add that much when you put them all together. But each one of them was put there for a particular reason. And rather than pick up the whole lot, consider it as a whole and how we could redraft this, they haven't done that. And you know, to be fair, the reason they haven't done that, at least partly, is parliamentary time and the ability to get things through as, a, as an integrated bill. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that that's a common theme, isn't it? Because I think, I think we still have the longest uh, tax code in the UK, uh, in, the, in the world, sorry. And I think it's the, um, you know, it's like... Uh, when have I got time to read Moby Dick? It's like when when does the government have time to uh, you know overhaul the uh, the tax code? So these are th these are these these things never get to the top of the list. I suppose in terms of the order of things uh, and why a lot of this governance stuff was chucked out recently, I think there was a realization that if you are gonna this is the positive spin on it. If you are gonna have a non financial review, do that first, see what we need, and then the other stuff should follow. Um, that would be the positive way of looking at it, yeah. at least. But if you balance that against some of the other incoming um, uh, regulation that they haven't withdrawn, bringing in the sustainability, um, uh, the sustainability reporting in the uh, in the International Sustainability Standards Councils, is going to add quite a bit. Does it make it more complicated for you, Phil, if if things chop and change? Because I guess there's a there's a lead time to this work. Well, well, there is in terms of uh, the design and look and feel, James, but I was, I was just thinking as Andrew was talking there that um, people seem to be leaving things uh, later and later and later to uh, 
to actually, in terms of giving us approval, there can be agreed schedules and everything else in place for weeks, but they, they kind of get uh, trodden over completely towards the end. And I, mu I must say, Andrew, that um, the, the poor old auditor probably gets the blame. <laughs> I, I think I think it's uh, I mean, when you think think of all the the new regulatory stuff. I, I'm I'm guessing that um, in terms of the auditing companies, you, you've just got a lot a lot more to approve these days, and and of course that that all takes time. And I think the other thing from our perspective is that um, sort of post pandemic, um, the traditionally um, an annual report would would be would be run by one person, and that one person would almost act like a conduit um, to communicate with uh, the likes of us and our, our competitors. These days, because um, a lot of the time these people aren't, aren't sat together, um, we we get a plethora of instructions in from maybe six people from one client, um, and you know it's, it's our task to make sense of all those instructions. Um, and to turn a proof out overnight and, and have it there at 6 a.m. in the morning, which is what, what we do. But, um, but yeah, we, that's, that's what we're set up to do, James. The, the, um, the, where, where the changes come from and, and the actual content is, uh, is obviously client side, but um, it's, it's our job to, to react when it's thrown at us. Sounds like you've got to pull an all-nighter now and again, Phil. Not me personally. That that, that was the no, bad. Old I didn't days. want to mention that. I thought there might be someone, someone else who could help who could help you with that. Um, in in terms of that, oh, very much so. Yeah. In terms of that frequency, uh, you know, frequency, and, and clearly there is a, the regulatory requirement for an annual document. I mean, but what what else is there that I don't know if it makes the annual report um, uh, easier, but maybe helps the um, the investor and the stakeholders understand the company better. I mean, there must be something about disclosing information on a more regular basis. Uh, we've got all of this re reams of real-time data around. I mean, do, you know, Phil, do you are you talking to clients who are saying, well, you know, we've got this sort of indicator on the website, we've got these certain KPIs, and we want to just collect them together, but actually they're going to update as we as we go. Yeah, I mean, with 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 obviously. You know, every, every company re reports for a period of time, and so the um, the the one thing with with annual reports, which um, has has for a long time been a, a bit of a negative comment, is that as soon as it's published, the information's out of date um, because things things move so quickly, um, which is why a kind of um, a, a counter um, a live data counter on a website is is obviously a useful um, balance to that, but. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's certainly become a, a faster moving animal um, in terms of uh, pre pre agreeing, as I said earlier, a, a schedule that's been in place for weeks. Um, schedules uh, schedules kind of count count for some of the story, but <laughs> increasingly it's, uh, it's it's a reducing influence and. You know, we're 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 thanked for making the deadline when um, when all the odds are stacked against us. Andrew, um, what else? I mean, I, I know you've you've um, uh, featured on various industry bodies over the years, and, and I, I guess I've quite an oversight over how standards develop. So, what is the work that needs to happen before we get to um, the next three thousand word edition on on uh, sustainable reporting and so on? Is it about really, um, you know, someone taking a broader view and, and meshing some of this stuff together? 
I'm not sure it's going to happen before the next 3000 word review, I'm afraid, but yes, I think there is an element of assessing proportionality. So allowing companies to report when it's important to report and not, not, um, not reporting on everything, whether it's relevant or not. Uh, and if we go back to what you were talking about a moment ago or real time reporting and, and the half year reporting or whatever, yes, you've got the annual report, you have got opportunities to report in between. So you, you've got half reports for half year reports for anything that's quoted. Some of them have got quarterly reports and you'll also have ad hoc announcements if something major happens, but moving that onto real time reporting requires real time explanation. And that can be enormously consumptive of, of management time. So I wouldn't have thought that many companies will be keen on going there. Although yeah, there are some things you can report things like flight data or, or um, retail sales more frequently than that. Um, in terms of whittling down what happens, I mean, the, the non-financial, the review of non-financial reporting that I mentioned, that is aiming to try and cut down on the overlap, but there are things pushing in the opposite direction. So there is more data asked for by various investors on various things. And I suppose another thing to look at would be what is information asked for by investors as investors to take those de decisions as investors, whether they're going to invest or not. And what is information asked for by investors in order to fulfill their own compliance requirements. And some of the ESG stuff definitely falls into the latter case and frankly, doesn't really belong in the annual report. Could be put on a website in a portal somewhere um, and reported more frequently and faster. I think one thing we've looked at recently as well is the, um, you talk about proportionality. I mean, there is quite a set of size thresholds out there um, that, uh, that could potentially be um, assimilated, scrapped, pulled together or, or, or something. I mean, it's, there's a real, I suppose everywhere you look in this world, uh, you, you said it earlier, Andrew, is, is um, stuff has been added on and on. And, um, you know, we know there's a long way to go, but actually something like the non-financial uh, reporting review might be a, an opportunity to really pair a lot of it back. Do you have do you have a view on the thresholds? Absolutely, I do. Um, now, I, I should qualify this slightly in that most of those thresholds apply to unlisted or most of the complication in those thresholds applies to unlisted companies. But we have four or five definitions of what you might reasonably call very large companies now. And that's just too complicated. It's difficult for, for, for company directors to tell which categories they fall into. So fewer, simpler categories would definitely be a plus. Well, we'll see where that one goes. And, and um, seeing as you talk, started talking about the, the, the future, Andrew, I mean, Phil, is, are, you, are you employing AI yet? Is AI taking some of the strain from, your, from these uh, overnighters that your colleagues have got to pull? <laughs> That's an interesting question because, uh, yeah, it's obviously uh, been in the, been in the, the public eye um, very recently. But uh, I, I've been trying to think of uh, who, which teams it could replace. But... Um, but no, uh, we we haven't uh, we haven't seen that yet. But I, I wouldn't be surprised in terms of um, in terms of looking at sort of uh, uh, editing and, and and that side of thing. Um, but um, no, to, to date we haven't. But I, I was just um, while Andrew was speaking, I was just talking thinking about the uh, the increased size of reports once more. Um, and I think what what we have seen is um, is is like a mini a mini contents pages at the start of each section because reports have grown so much just 
just having one contents page at the beginning is no longer enough. So that that's that, that that's certainly been a move, and and also the um, the requirement to have um, in terms of the online version to be able to uh, have a navigation tool to go uh, to go straight to the um, straight to the section you're looking at. Well, it's a good answer, Philip. I mean, I, of course, the, the the part that AI would never get rid of, of course, is the sales function. Um, that's a very important thing. Uh, to to leave people with, <laughs> yeah, that so, I, I, I did I did cross my mind. Yeah, so just to, I mean, just to wrap it up now, I'd, I think your you, you know your final thoughts. I think you know it's a good overview of where of where we are and the challenges. But but I suppose um, despite all that real time data and despite them being you know as you said, Phil, you know out of date as they as they're published, there is that value. And I think most importantly, um, uh, no one's yet come up with something better than the annual report have they no no it's um thankfully <laughs> it, it's a very important part of uh, <laughs> it's a very important part of our business and uh as i say something that got turning full circle something that i i care passionately about i i've been doing this for a long while and i'm literally waiting at this very moment for an email to say whether we've won a uh, a new piece of business this afternoon and uh I still get excited about it as if it was my first one. <laughs> so, uh, so as far as uh, my my uh, the rest of my working years are concerned, um, long live the annual report. Yeah, Andrew, do you concur? I mean, the, the, there are there are flaws and problems, but um, there also seems to be quite some value in it. I, I definitely agree. I mean, speaking as speaking as uh, someone working for audit function, I can't really not agree, of course, because that's what we're signing off at the end of the day. That said, I wouldn't be here unless I thought that it was a valuable document. So yes, it is important. It's there as a document of record. So don't confuse it with up-to-date real-time data. There's that as well, but that ability to look back and see the company as a whole and think about it as an integrated whole, tell the whole story at once. That's, that's worth having, I think. Okay. Andrew, Phil, thanks so much for the conversation. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks very much. That was a great episode. Thanks to our guests and to our sponsor, Mazar, the audit, tax and advisory firm helping listed businesses grow with purpose. If you want to listen to more episodes of Growth Capital from the QCA, you can subscribe on Spotify or Apple. Please follow us on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Quoted Companies. And if you have questions, comments or future topics that we should cover, please get in touch.